Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 124. Today is Sunday, December the 10th, 2017. And today's guest is an American organist, Tabitha Moldenhauer, who is the program director of Chicago International Organ Academy. Having created, taught, and managed church and school music programs for all ages, she enthusiastically believes music education should be accessible to everyone. Tabitha is also music director and organist at Church of the Holy Family in Forest Park, Illinois. She also has a private studio of piano and organ students and is a sought-after workshop organizer and speaker on the topic of training part-time organists to support and encourage music performance and participation in the greater Chicago area. She serves on the board of the Chicago chapter of the American Guild of Organists and is the parent board liaison of the Suburban Youth Symphony Orchestra. In this conversation, Tabitha shares her insights about her educational outreach activities. I think you will enjoy discovering what she is doing to introduce organ to children in particular. Let's go to the show. Thank you so much, Tabitha, for joining me in this conversation tonight. Uh, I know it's morning uh, to you in Illinois and it's uh, evening in Vilnius, right? Uh, We are, I think, uh, what, seven hours apart? or so, and uh, thousands of miles uh, away, but we are connecting through the technology, and uh, I'm so delighted to be able to talk to you about the things that we both love and enjoy, pipe organ, and uh, uh, your process of organ playing, your uh, basically challenges that you are uh, currently working on, and things that you are passionate on, and so forth. Thank you so much, Tabitha, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, it is 10 a.m. here in Chicago, so our workday just started. Uh, I, I assume yours is about done. Yes, uh, my schedule is kind of flexible because uh, I, I'm kind of uh, trying to connect with guests and uh, teach people uh, from around the world. So uh, I work wherever my laptop is and whenever I want, basically, too. Um, it's not so much connected to the eight to five schedule. Right. And it's the same here for all of us musicians in the States too, which I I really enjoy. I like having a lot of flexibility um, and being able to to schedule things um, around everything else that's going on. But I have a rehearsal tonight. We have Advent Mm -hmm. lessons and carols coming up at the church where I'm music director on Sunday. Um, So there's really a lot going on. Okay, Tabitha, can you tell us a little bit about your church? Uh, what is this church and uh, denomination and, uh, of course, uh, your position and what you're doing there? Sure. Um, I'm the music director at Church of the Holy Family, which is an Episcopal church in Park Forest, Illinois, which is a South Chicago suburb. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really lovely congregation. I have a great volunteer choir. Um, they are, they do more than, than I would have thought possible for a, a group of volunteers. Um, it's been really a joy to work with them. And it's just amazing how much music 
potential most people have to learn. And I don't, I think we sell people short um, a little bit if they don't catch on right away. We have to really, as music directors in churches, be educators and really break things down to its most basic level. Um, I really think that this is for everyone. Singing, organ, piano, this really should be participation by everyone. It's it's for um, every person to enjoy and to be a part of. Mm-hmm. You're right, Tabitha. I think uh, um, you will correct me if I'm wrong, but... Uh, Episcopal Church in America is one of the champions of uh, quality church music. Uh, am I right? Yes, I would say so. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I also work for um, some Lutheran churches uh, who also have really a great history of congregational singing and choral work and um, organ playing. So it's it's really a joy to work with these denominations here in the States. Wonderful. So, Tabitha, uh, let's start our conversation with going back in time. Do you remember um, the first time when somebody introduced you the pipe organ and the story, how you first fell in love with this? Well, I'm probably somewhat unique among your guests in that I didn't want to learn to play the organ. I yes. never wanted to learn to play the organ. <laughs> yes, fantastic. Everybody is sort of the same. Somebody introduced and somebody, they always dreamt of becoming an organist. And now you are the only one <laughs> who didn't want to become an organist, right? No, I wanted nothing to do with it. I hated it. Um, but as part of my program in college, I had to take some organ lessons. And I didn't enjoy it. And honestly, it didn't go very well. Um I ended up being sort of a competent service player and it was okay. I never liked it. I never liked listening to organ music, which is completely my fault because I never listened to much organ music. So I didn't really give it a chance. Um, And then after I got out of college, I was certain I would never have to play organ again. Um, As it turned out, (laughs) I've played almost every single week since I graduated from college you know, 20 years ago. Um, and what happened was when I moved to Illinois about 11 years ago, I started working at a large Lutheran church and there were a couple other organists. So I was playing about once a month and then filling in at other places occasionally. So it was fine. Um, my skills, I didn't feel were that great, but it was adequate. And then within a few years, uh, unfortunately, the other two organists who were at the Lutheran church passed away. And suddenly I found myself playing over 200 services a year. Um, And my skills really weren't up to that. I I could kind of fake my way through, but I wasn't comfortable. So that's when I started to try to find some instruction. And it's really difficult to find organ instruction if you're not interested in enrolling in an academic degree program. True. So that what you are doing, I think, is is so valuable for all of us who are part-time working organists um, because there's there's really nothing for us uh, if we're not interested in getting like a master's degree in church music or an organ performance, which for a part-time job doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was about four years ago that I started looking for instruction and I managed to find a really excellent teacher in Chicago uh, by with the help of the the Chicago chapter of the American Guild of Organists. And I've been studying with him, uh, Dr. Philip Kleckner, for um, about three years. 
a little more than three years. And it's just been wonderful. It's been absolutely wonderful. Um, he does a really good job of teaching technique. And I think that's something that all of us as teachers too, really need to be aware of because for a lot of people, the, the organ is not natural. There's nothing natural about playing this instrument. I, at least not to me, some mm -hmm. people probably have a much greater aptitude for it than I do. Um, my primary instrument was always clarinet and with an actual wind instrument, it's, I think much easier, or it was for me to be able to get the instrument to do what you want it to do using your own breath. And the organ is so, the air is there, but it's so far away from your lungs that I find it very difficult to get the instrument to do what I want it to do. So having really, really detailed technical training has been a huge help for me. Um, and, and now the things too, the literature, the organ literature that I didn't know existed is wonderful. I absolutely love it. And, you know, this is coming from someone who had no interest in ever learning this instrument. So I, I think this needs to be brought to a much wider audience. Um, mm -hmm. I was playing a couple weeks ago at just practicing at a big Methodist church in downtown Chicago. And I played through the Toccata from the end of the first movement of the Mendelssohn six organ sonata. Yes. And I, I got done and there was someone who is a beginning organ student, um, an adult, and he, he came running up. He was so excited to hear that piece. And he, he asked, what was that? That was so great. That's, I think, the reaction that we need to be looking for. And every service we play, every recital or concert that we play, because people will, if they hear this music, really love it, I think. And he said that was an inspiration to him to keep going, keep going with his pedal exercises, keep going with his manual exercises. Because the message, in addition to this is great music, is you can play this music too. Mm -hmm. Whoever you are, you can learn to do this too. Um, and I think that's what we as organists, we need to, to find non-organists and introduce them to the music and always with the encouragement that this is something that's not unique to me. It's not unique to just elite people. This is something that they can do too with training. Mm. You're right, Tabitha. I think uh, uh, organists uh, should share their art, right? Uh, not only right. recordings of their recitals, which is, of course, natural and understanding, but... Uh, uh, maybe even the process of how they practice so that uh, uh, maybe less advanced organists could uh, get a glimpse into their um, routine, right? Uh, and their, so to say, backstage, right? Uh, what they're doing and how they're learning and their challenges. It's okay to fail in front of a bunch of strangers because they will forgive you, right? Because they want you to succeed too. And by doing this regularly, by showing up, um, I don't know, online in some, some form of shape, maybe in text or audio or video or um, pictures or combination of them, you could actually build a fan base, um, thousands of people who follow you and uh, learn from you and want uh, to to know more about you and actually support you. In right. Many I ways. think we definitely need to take away the mystery from this um, and explain to people exactly what we do when we're practicing. And places uh, like our congregations, our churches that employ us need to know that too. I think it, it's it's too mysterious right now. Nobody knows what we do. We're up mm -hmm. there in the loft 
and we play some music, but nobody understands um, how we get to that point. And I think we can do as organists a much better job of explaining that what we do in a practice room, what we do in rehearsal, um, what we do when we're choosing music and preparing music. And, and that to kind of demystify being a musician and make it more accessible for more people. Tabitha, I think uh, one of the reasons uh, why uh, churchgoers don't uh, listen particularly well to postludes or even preludes before the service or after the service, right? They chat, they tend to interact and communicate with their neighbors and friends and family um, whom they didn't uh, see for an entire week maybe is because uh, they don't know what's going on in, in, in the organ loft, right? It's a strange thing, and uh, they don't know how to translate it into words, what we are doing. Um, and you're right, we could uh, a little bit uh, invite them, invite them into our world, right? Maybe even group of children from school uh, invite to the organ um, tour, right? Uh, create organ demonstrations for them. That would make a, an excellent impression for them for the long years to come. Right. And, and actually, what's really interesting, when I started going back and taking more lessons and getting better technique, all of a sudden at the church where I was playing, um, all of these children started coming up to the loft. It just happened because they could tell a difference in the playing. And I had people who had never been up to the loft before who would um, send me emails, letters and things. And, and their comment was always, we're singing better. And we don't know why we're singing better, but we're pretty sure it has something to do with what you're doing. So there was kind of this, they can tell a difference in the sound, even if they don't necessarily know what's going on. And the higher quality of the music that you play, more people just naturally are interested. At least that was my experience. And all of these kids were coming up and they wanted to play. So absolutely, you can play the organ. And especially for um, the grade school kids who would come up, you know, they, they, some of them are taking piano lessons. We have a, a piano program at that church uh, where they have a, a, a school that's associated with the church where we bring piano teachers in during the day. I'm one of the piano teachers. And they get their lessons during the day. And it's a reward for them to, if you do well on the piano, let's take your piano books and we're going to go up to the organ and you can play your piano piece on the organ. And they think it's the greatest thing ever. And, you know, that too, to be more welcoming to these kids, to say, you know, yes, this is for you. You're a little short, you can't reach the pedals yet, but when you can, <laughs> you can start on this instrument too. It's not something that's only for, you know, little old ladies or people who um, are really, really the elite concert organists. This is something that everybody should have a chance to do if they're interested in doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's been the greatest thing is, is these children who want to learn. So I've actually done a little work with, with pedagogy with my teacher, and I have some organ students who have started down in, in my area here south of Chicago. And it's, I haven't looked for them. It's been totally organic. Just when they hear the organ played in a different way that's more high quality, they're interested in learning too, without mm -hmm. me having to having to do any kind of marketing. Um, an organ studio has just grown 
up mm. in this area, which is fantastic. Your work is marketing, actually. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's not. You don't have to do any kind of a hard sell on the uh, learning organ, though. For for these people, mm -hmm. they they hear it, they love it, and they want to be able to do it too. And that's how that's how this should work. Right. I think two weeks ago, when Osha, my wife, and I played a recital in our church, St. John's Church at Vilnius University, we played four hands duet recital. And um, I invited one of my piano students to come uh, to the concert to, to listen to us, but also to climb up the organ loft afterwards and to take pictures and, and even to try, you know, to try mm -hmm. play. And uh, he he is like a second grader, very small child, uh, and actually doesn't love to play at all, doesn't like piano music at all. And I personally struggle with him for a second year now in a row. And he, so far he cannot understand bass clef, for example, and mm -hmm. uh, he memorizes, he writes down note names, you know, all those tricks. Uh, because he doesn't like it but when he came came to the organ loft he could memorize he could play from memory his piano music um, i think it was like a, a minuet or something like a little bit polyphonic music which was perfect for that suddenly his eyes you know were opened and his ears and of course his sister was here and his mom was here and we they took pictures and uh, you know this is experience for a lifetime and I, I feel that now we have a better con contact with him and connection for whatever i want to teach him too right right and um i think any the more that we can get kids we don't have to get them interested we just have to give them access they are already are interested mm -hmm. you know they they even they see the pipes up in the back of the church and they're very curious about them so all we have to do is invite them up and and they're already interested and let them play some notes um for most especially the boys who are about the age of your student um when when they come upstairs it's i just ask them do you want to play loud and yes they every single one of them wants to play loud all right well, we can do that i like to play loud too <laughs> so we'll pull out all the mixtures we're going to pull out the reeds and you can play your piano music really loud and they love it they absolutely love it and i think it it helps them to listen more too to the music that they hear during the services then um which is just a good experience for for all of them and if that down the road motivates them to learn how to play or even just to support other people who do play i think that's wonderful uh for all organists um i mean we we get a lot of a lot of complaints that the organ as an instrument is dying um i don't see that i just don't see that i think it's the way that we get education in playing the organ is changing because I do think the academic degree programs are kind of dying. Um, but I don't think this is a bad time for the organ as an instrument. I think it's a really, really exciting time mm -hmm. for the organ because you do have lots and lots of people who are interested in learning to play, who are interested in the repertoire once they're exposed to it. And um, places online especially are, are a great venue to actually learn how to do this. So what you are doing, um, what Dr. Kleckner is doing with the Chicago International Organ Academy, these are excellent 
ways of reaching more people than though just those who would have access to academic degree programs because that's not that's not an efficient way of reaching large numbers of people who want to play the organ or even large numbers of people like me who did not want to play the organ but who got forced to play the organ so mm-hmm. for all of us who are organists just because our church needed us to be organists we need a way too to be able to improve our skills, learn more repertoire. So all of the online instruction that's going on, I think is really, really exciting. And it, mm-hmm. it provides access to the instrument to many more people than the old way of training organists did. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, of course, uh, uh, short-legged kids, right, who don't have uh, long uh, legs and cannot reach the pedals yet. But there is, you know, this pedal extent uh, from Wayne Leopold uh, uh, website. You could order a couple of uh, uh, basically attachable. You can attach two two extensions to like c and g like dominant and ped- and tonic pedal points with left hand left uh, foot and the right foot that's all they need at this age right and basically first graders second graders can literally play with their feet too right that's great i didn't know that existed that's a mm-hmm. wonderful product though <laughs> yeah when leopold has uh, has i think you can order more than than two i think uh, but uh, it's it's a good uh, good idea to to be to make an organ really accessible to small kids mm-hmm. and of course you mentioned uh, tabitha that you didn't want to play the organ at first right you were kind of a reluctant hero right i <laughs> like, was incredibly reluctant i was angry <laughs> In every in every story, there is a, a point uh, in the hero's journey when hero hero um, sort of uh, um, refuses to take on the burden of uh, going to the adventure, right? Uh, like like uh, Harry Potter, uh, uh, and he didn't want to be a wizard, but this uh, his mentor said, "You're a wizard, Harry." <laughs> so now now you know too. You're an organist, Abita. Right. Which, yeah, I, and I never, if I could go back and talk to my college self, uh, I wouldn't believe myself that this is where, where I would end up. Um, because really, this is the last instrument that I would ever have chosen for myself. Um, fortunately, though, circumstances worked out with a lot of divine intervention um, that, that this is where I am. And I, I absolutely love it. Um, I was recently elected to the chapter board of the Chicago chapter of the American Guild of Organists. And I'm hoping to help them um, as they are trying to reach out to more people with this wonderful music on this instrument that we love. Um, We are doing actually uh, some youth outreach. So similar to what has happened at my church in um, April, we're planning an event where it's called Petals, Pipes, and Pizza. The AGO chapters do this all over. And this is a good way to bring grade school age children to hear the instrument, have someone explain how it works to them, and then also they get to try it. Um, And then they eat pizza and (laughs) socialize. But all of these events, I think, are so important to give kids more exposure than than they might get 
even just going to church, you don't necessarily get to play the instrument, look at the instrument, have someone explain to you, you know, how, how does all this work? Why is the console over here and the pipes are on the other side of the room? How does that, how does that fit together? Um, so all of these things, I think, is what we need to be doing as, as organists. Instead of being really closed in and, and negative about, oh, no one's interested, no one wants to hear this, no one wants to do this, well, no, that's not true. You just have to go outside and, and mm -hmm. talk to all these people who have never had exposure to the instrument before. Wonderful. Uh, I'm so glad you're so passionate about this instrument. and. I have no doubt that you, your contribution to the Chicago chapter of, of the AGO will, will be immensely appreciated, Tabitha. Thank you. And uh, uh, now let's uh, think about a little bit uh, uh, deeply, deeply into your uh, practice procedures. Would you like to share about things that you are working on currently, uh, things you're passionate on? What, what kind of repertoire do you like and do you, do you practice, for example? Um, you know, I, I'm pretty eclectic in my repertoire taste, and I, I always have been um, for in other instruments, too. Um, I mean, honestly, right now, my computer is sitting on a stack of Advent music <laughs> that I don't, I, I have to learn. It's, it's for church. So, you know, this is a, this is a difficult season of the year right now. I have, I think, I don't know, 20 some services between now and Epiphany. Um, but in addition to that, uh, repertoire right, right now, a lot of it is just working things back up, uh, like the, the BWV 547, the, the prelude, the 9-8, um, you're playing C major, great. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm also working on, in my own lessons, um, the Cooperon Mass for the Convents, okay. uh, which is a totally different style. I had not done, I had not been exposed to any of the, the French classic organ music before. I love it. It's a technical challenge for me. So it's kind of a love-hate relationship at the moment because it's a really different style. Mm -hmm. um, so that, and, and, you know, putting in the ornamentation and nothing is written out. So you have to make it up. It's, it's much more improvisatory than what I am used to. Um, but it's, it's a very good learning experience. Some days I love it. Some days it's like eating your vegetables as a kid. You just have to get through it. <laughs> um, but what I do with my practice, because especially this time of year, there's so much music that I have to learn. Mm -hmm. It's not possible um, for me as a part-time organist to sit for eight hours and practice during the day. I just can't. So I will be very strict with myself and I, I use a timer all the mm -hmm. time, you know, like, like when you have a kid and, and you're trying to make them practice piano or violin or something. But for me, the timer is not to make myself practice for a whole you know, half hour or whatever on a piece, it's to stop myself because I'm very, very OCD and detail oriented. And I would spend hours and hours on one little section of one piece if I allowed myself to. And I can't with the amount of music that I have to learn. So I will plan out my practice for the day and then use my timer. So, you know, I'm spending, let's say I'm going to spend 30 minutes on this Sunday's service. And then when the timer goes off, even if I'm not happy with how it's gone, 
that's it. We're done for the day. Come back to it tomorrow. And then I'll spend, you know, 20 minutes on the C major prelude, the Bach. Um, and then even if, you know, wherever I am, when the timer goes off, it's time to move on. And mm -hmm. I, for me, that works. I don't know if it would work for everybody. Um, but then within three, I try to limit it to three hours a day because I, I have a life <laughs> outside of this. I have work to do. I have children. Um, that generally works pretty well for me. If mm -hmm. I just let myself be totally free with my practice, I don't think I would get through as much as I do by being really, really disciplined and using a timer for everything. I like idea of of the timer. It's sometimes they call it Pomodoro technique. You don't do you know about that? No. Pomodoro timer uh, of the shape uh, of tomato kitchen timer, uh, regular kitchen timer. You can buy it uh, in in any supermarket i think uh, for kitchen you know right? you, you can mm -hmm. uh, cook and time your 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 you know the time uh, and it's in the shape of of the pomodoro of of tomato and uh, it's called pomodoro technique because each interval of of let's say practice is 25 minutes and then you stop and then you take a 5 minute break and then you start the timer again for 25 minutes and then you uh, have a five minute break again and do this uh, for four blocks of 25 minutes. And then you have to rest some more, like 15 minutes or, or, or more. And if you want, you can practice even longer with this. Then you will never be tired and your body will be thankful for you, to you. Right, right. I think that's a great idea. And I have, I bought um, a practice instrument that I have in my home um, a few years ago, which is a great purchase. I mean, I know they take up a lot of space, but for any organist who has the space, um, you can find practice instruments online, sometimes for free, uh, mm -hmm. not a lot of money. Generally, the hardest thing is, is transporting them to your house. But I think that's a, a good way of practicing too, because like you said, then you get breaks. So mm -hmm. you're not at church where you think, oh, I have to get through all of this before I can go home. You're in your home. So you can practice for 25 minutes and then, you know, go do something else, go check the laundry, go, you know, do mm -hmm. <laughs> cook something um, and then come back to it. So you're building in those mental breaks so that you don't get uh, too mentally tired that you're not making progress anymore in your practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're right, Tabitha. Um, I think uh, sometimes people get sucked into their practice so that the uh, time boundaries disappear and they kind of like this uh, idea of going for hours and they forget that they need to rest, right? And actually drink, have a glass of water, actually that, that helps too. And even stretch or take a walk or do something else, maybe some physical activity before coming back to the mental activity like organ playing too. Um, and sitting in one position is not very healthy, right? So you need to move around a little bit. Right, right. Mm. Um, so the other thing that I, I talk to my students about is to have a plan always for when you're sitting down to practice, decide what you're going to do. Um, because just playing through things a dozen times is is not a terribly good use of practice time. So, you know, you know 
when you sit down, what the, the challenging parts of any hymn or liturgical song or any piece of repertoire you're working on are. So have a plan in your head when you sit down of what you're going to do. So are you going to, you know, take away a line? Are you going to do just left hand and pedal, right hand and pedal, do both hands, but no pedal? Um, are you going to practice in varied rhythms? Um, if you're, you know, playing something that's a bunch of 16th notes in a row, vary the rhythms of them, um, have a plan when you sit down so that your practice time is really effective because the worst feeling is when you sit down and you're, you play through a bunch of things, a bunch of times, and at the end of it, you don't feel like you accomplished anything mm -hmm. because that won't motivate you to keep practicing. Whereas if you have a plan, I think that does motivate you to come back the next day and think, okay, you know, this is slightly improved and it might be really slightly improved or it might not have improved at all, but go through, have a plan of what you're going to do so that at the end of a week or the end of a month, you will see some kind of improvement in the music that you're working on. Mm -hmm. You're right. Uh, I think it's better to make progress in four measures of particular piece in, during one uh, practice session than to just play entire piece over and over, right? Right. Because tomorrow, tomorrow you will come. You come back to this piece, and this episode of uh, four measures will be polished, and you just have to repeat it a few times to refresh it. Right. And I found that really helpful to explain to my teenage students, especially because just the age that they are, they're not terribly patient with themselves. And if they don't get something immediately, they can get very frustrated. So I think it's important as teachers to make sure we're giving our students the tools of, okay, if this part of the music is a problem for you, instead of just being frustrated, how are you going to work on it? Here are some ways that you can work on this to make it so that within a week or two, it won't be such an issue anymore and you'll be able to play it fluently and add it mm -hmm. to the rest. So Tabitha, when you mentioned that you have a stack of Advent organ music uh, next to you, uh, sitting and waiting for its turn to practice, right? Uh, I have a feeling that you are a good sight reader. Am I right? Um, no, actually. No? <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm You're not. not? Um, I, I'm, I'm getting better, but this, was, this is really not my instrument. Um, for, for me, I have to work really very hard, um, which I think is, is kind of good because then I can explain to people in minute detail exactly what I am doing to get the sound that I want. Um, if this was more natural for me and I, I was a better sight reader, I think it would be difficult to explain to people exactly what I'm doing uh, because it would just be, well, just play it. Well, mm -hmm. I, I can't. I've never been able to just play it. Uh, I mean, I, I can sight read reasonably well, but that's really probably the weakest area of my skills. And it's because I spent so long being a wind player. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, clarinet music, I could sight read all day long, no problem. But, you know, you throw in organ music and it's four lines or five lines. And no, I've, I've just never been a very good sight reader. 
Mm -hmm. But you mentioned at the beginning that uh, you kind of uh, had to uh, play like 200 uh, uh, services per year, right? At one point right. earlier. Right. Well, I, I am a pretty decent memorizer. So mm. for a lot of the services that I was playing, it was, you know, there are only so many hymns in the hymnal for Advent or for Lent or for Christmas or any other season. So after a couple years of doing this, then most of those would come back really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I did not do a lot of variation, free harmonizations or anything because <laughs> there wasn't time. There wasn't time to work mm -hmm. those up. Um, so I rely more on my memory mm -hmm. than, than any sight reading skills. Uh, did you have uh, any music theory and harmony skills when you started playing the organ? Did that help too? You know, I think the way that, um, theory and harmony are taught, it, it kind of divorces it from any practical application. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I did okay in my theory classes, but it was all classroom written work. Mm -hmm. And that really didn't translate to anything particularly useful on the organ for mm -hmm. playing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, that's a challenge. And that's something that, again, I'm trying to do differently with my own piano and organ students that, you know, we, we do improvisation. Um, we do courting a melody, uh, mm -hmm. putting in chords against a melody, because I think you have to use it for it to be of any use to you. And just the, the older way of teaching it, where it's all classroom, didn't, for me, translate. Now, for other students, it probably translated a lot better. Um, but for me, it, it, it just didn't. What about keyboard harmony? You know those assignments when you have to play on the keyboard? The sequences, cadences, chord progressions, modulations. You have to do this in college too, right? Did that help? Well, I didn't I didn't have any of that. You um, didn't, huh? Mm -hmm. No, no, because my primary instrument was clarinet, it it just I kind of slid through <laughs> all of college without having to do much much keyboard work other than organ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so now you're actually learning on your own and doing uh, things that you might have been exposed to in college uh, back, right? Back some years ago, right? Uh, well, kind of. In, in my own organ lessons um, with with Philip, we, we do actually go through those things, which now mm -hmm. make a lot more sense to me. When you're sitting oh. at an organ and you have to do all of the keyboard things. Well, then it makes more sense. And then it's actually useful and it, it's sticking in my brain a lot better than it does when it is just on a chalkboard um, or on a piece of paper. The difference uh, from American education and Lithuanian uh, harmony teaching in a good way is that in America, at least they uh, harmonize a chorale, uh, like, like a hymn or hymn tune or a normal chant in four parts in lithuania we we normally harmonize an eight measure phrase which is not related to chorale at all it's an artificial melody like an exercise and that's actually very frustrating for for people who want to feel the practicality of this right so in America, at least writing out those exercises and then playing these harmonizations with students just 
just wrote wrote down is helpful too. If nobody's doing that, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, especially for those of us who are church organists, relating something, especially to a hymn tune that's mm -hmm. commonly known is very, very helpful. And that's really useful too, because then when that hymn tune comes up, if you have to you know, figure out an introduction or improvise on it for a couple minutes during the service, then you have some foundation with that melody. And I think that's, that's much more useful. And I think the students will work harder at that because they see more value in that than some melody that's not connected to anything that they're going to do in their actual practical service playing. So Tabitha, after all those years of learning uh, clarinet and then transferring uh, uh, to, to the organ, you know so many things now, right? And teach others and uh, um, try to um, uh, make this art uh, known to wider audience, right? Uh, with AGO initiatives. So, what in your mind is number one, number first step in in order to become better organist? Um, I think the first step really is um, to find quality instruction um, somewhere, whether it's in person, online. I really think that everybody needs to have a mentor or a teacher or something um, because this instrument does not come naturally to many of us. And mm -hmm. you might have decent manual technique if you're coming from a good piano keyboard background. Most people really struggle with the pedal technique. So I think that is absolutely the first thing that, that people have to learn is how do I make my feet <laughs> play well? Um, and it's, it's a very odd it, there's no other instrument like this. It's it's very, very strange. So I think you have to find good pedal instruction. And that's really mm -hmm. the first thing. And once you have that, and it's something that you don't have to be consciously thinking about every time you're playing, oh, where are my feet? Um, then you can really go from there and, and you can learn all the repertoire. You can learn the hymns. You can learn the other service music or choral music that you need for uh, church jobs. Um, so much easier. So I, mm -hmm. I think definitely pedal technique is is where people need to start. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tabitha, for your wisdom, insights, and inspiration, right? Because uh, you will be uh, inviting many kids to the organ loft in this year and the next year, right, with AGO initiatives. Make sure you record those things, those sessions, and put them online so that not actually tens of uh, children could re re revisit those experiences, but actually globally, thousands of people could enjoy them too. We hope to. Yeah, we have uh, something else coming up in January too that we are going to be streaming online, which I believe is a first for the mm -hmm. Chicago chapter. So we are definitely trying to use the technology that we have available um, to bring this to a much wider audience. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Tabitha. And uh, could you tell us uh, where could our listeners uh, connect with you online? Um, the, the best place is uh, I'm program director for the Chicago International Organ Academy. So the website for that is uh, cioa.global.
Excellent. I will put this uh, this link into the description of this conversation so that people could click and visit you and your work online and uh, say hello and uh, appreciate what you do and support you too. Thank you very much. You're a wonderful, inspiring person. Thank you so much. And keep creating and keep sharing it with, with the world. Thank you. Thank you. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog, Secrets of Organ Playing, at organduo.lt, where you will find lots of insights, practical advice, and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavichus. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.